This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Across Australia, on the Community Radio Network, via satellite to over 70 community radio stations around the nation. This is Word for Word, coming to you from Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Melbourne's Joy 94.9. Your hosts today are Dean Beck and Sue Wilkinson. You're listening to a Joycast from GLB, TIQ community radio station, Joy 94.9. Hello and welcome to Word for Word. My name's Dean Beck and my co-host today is Sue Wilkinson and our guest in this hour has been a multimedia producer, a research artist with some 30 years experience in broadcasting, producing, she's been an actress, a writer, uh, she's an artist both in uh, painting and mixed media, right through to text and uh, radio presentation. She prides herself on being a out loud queer freak and at nearly 50 (laughs) she celebrates all sorts of differences from raw physical bodies through to open alternative political and gender states of being. Kath Duncan, welcome to Word for Word. Ah, thank you Dean. Hello and (laughs) Sue. Hello Kath. It's so lovely to meet you. You know, when when we start doing these shows, we we look at researching and and it's just so interesting reading about you and your life. And and you know what I found? What I found was, and if people do want to look up further because I'm sure their interest is going to be tweaked and there's just not enough out there on, on, um, in the visual like on the YouTubes and on and all that to, to actually go, there's the person who's talking. You can get, you know, the blurb of this mm, and the blurb mm. of that, but I'd really love to see some more visuals of you and your productions. Oh, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yeah, because you look up Kath Duncan and he goes, did you mean? And I go, no, I didn't mean that. But I think that's, uh, now we should rewind, actually. Okay. We should I'm sorry, rewind. I always go because, ahead, I get excited. Because our listener has got no idea what we're talking about. Oh. <laughs> Kath produced uh, what had turned out to be, and she also starred in, an internationally renowned documentary called My One-Legged Dream Lover. Infamous it is, really. Infamous, Infamous. in all sorts of ways. And But we need to rewind back even further from that. Oh, my God. Kath, what is, remember. What, <laughs> to go on. is your, what is your disability? Oh, Dean, I know. forward. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about your penis size. Oh, don't, because he will this. tell you. <laughs> And I've, I've, look, I've seen pictures. Everyone knows. Okay. It's not interesting. Okay. But whatever. Okay. It's really so not my worth disability worrying about is probably more interesting at this point. Okay. Um, okay. Well, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> can I do the shark and the crocodile? I was going along through. Yes. Oh, well, anyway, look, um, the reality is. No, I, it's I, not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit late. I should have come up with it first. Um, I was born with this sort of syndrome, which is like a classic developmental delay, actually, and it's called facial limb disruptive spectrum. And what happens is if you're a woman who's, uh, carrying a, a baby and between six and 10 weeks, uh, gestation, the baby, um, 
and you have either a viral or a bacterial infection that raises your uh, blood temperature by more than only 0.25 of a degree. Just in this little window. Just yes. that window. Right. Yep. Um, it's likely that two things will happen. Uh, mm. the, you'll have a miscarriage and you'll never really know. Yep. Or your fetus's embryos, ultimately baby's uh, development gets affected. So in my case, even when we're that small, at the point of development I was yep. at, we're really smart because you, we decide, even this little tiny blobby thing, to keep the brain, nervous system and organs, you know, heart and so forth, developing while going hell, these unimportant things are just going to fall off the table. So what fell off the table at that point when my life as a little tiny being was threatened was my left arm, sort of, ju I've got, just got an elbow on the left arm. Sort um, of, yeah, just almost above the elbow, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just sort of, I've kind of lost yep. the, the lower part of the lower part of your army thing. The four, anyway, forearm <laughs> and hand, forearm <laughs> and hand. And, and to kind of carry on that trimming sort of around that side of the body. So on my left leg, I only have four toes right. and a slight shortened lower leg thing bone <laughs> I love your descriptions <laughs> not, and then following around we're now over on the right oh, side. Oh, now we're on the right leg. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. Right leg. Um, I, I, I got about two thirds of where my leg was going to make a knee and then it stopped. So I've just, I've not, I've got this, look, what's really good for prostheses mm. is that I have what would have been a knee or a foot. We're not really sure, but I have this bony platform at the bottom of my leg stump, which is, yeah, about two thirds of the same length of above the knee on my Left leg, sorry. Oh, this is, this is so complicated. Left right, straight, no. Whatever. Anyway, look, I wear a, I wear a leg prosthesis on the right side. I don't wear an arm prosthesis on the left side. I've got a full right arm, but I've got sort of a foreshortened finger. I call my fairy finger. Um, and, but, oh, and a smaller jaw and no earlobes. Everything just got trimmed. Cause I, looking at you, I would have thought, Oh, your, and I'm your short. body. Well, and <laughs> you're all Steve. short. Yeah. He's such a bitch. <laughs> yes, I would have said you were short, but I would have said that your torso is all very normal. He's so not politically correct, is he? <laughs> He's awful, isn't well, he? No, I know. Thanks I'm, for I'm, that, Dean. That's good. I, I aspire to look, more than normal. Let Come me apologise up front. Tits. Okay. You have got she has actually. I, I will knockers. vouch for that. Okay. No, massive they're not knockers. massive. They're they just a massive good shape. I have to tell you, they're massive. They're massive. Oh, okay. Anyway, they're a good shape. An old hag But you've got. A bit of a leg on one side and, and not much on the other and you've got half an arm and one good arm. There you go, that'll do. That'll, that'll do. do. Now, let, I'll, I'll have you, I'll have go you on, know, go on. this good thing, hmm. let's just drop that straight off. Now, this right arm here, yeah, it's good for some things, but this left arm, I'm not going to go into it right now. Yeah. This is very good for some uh, things. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just leave it at that. We are, we are going, actually. There's no good, bad here. We're not going to leave it. It's all that, good. Because we are so getting into that very, very soon. But I do want to touch on politically correct. That took forever, didn't it? No, no. I want to touch on politically correct because do you find literally people put their foot in their mouths or they go I don't know how to say do I say amputee do I say disability do I say disability oh. that's a new one I like disability because I work with kids with disabilities and people go well it's not a disability it's a disability and you go it sounds like you've got a like a speech impediment uh, another one yeah yeah and then do you say intellectually impaired and the word retarded and you get this whole kind of gambit of words you should and shouldn't use do you find that with you personally, do you find that people struggle with what to say? Yeah, and I don't make it any easier. I, I mean, you know, sometimes just depending on my mood, someone will come up and go, you know, what's wrong with you? And I'll go, ah, well, you know, and make up 
some ridiculous story and I've frightened children at parties and stuff like that. I mean, I think it's up to the person to ID, to self-ID because like just the other day I was talking to a good friend of mine um, who's in Adelaide and I was saying, I'm a, let's see if I can get this right, I'm a unipedal technological bipedal person, <laughs> which means without the leg technology, I actually have one leg, but with the technology I have two. Mm. So I can't say I'm a one-legged person. I'm a technological two-legged in a kind of a way. Like a and, I mean, it could, yeah, and it, it gets very complicated. I mean, I think it's probably best if you want to be really PC, you ask the person, how, how do you describe yourself, you know, and work from there. But, you know, who's got the time? And quite a lot of the time people will sort of sum me up, you know, wrongly, really. I mean, the thing that offends me is when people think I've got some other weird disability. Yeah. The, the trouble I had in call, calling you uh, disabled was that you're so bloody out there that, Nothing holds you back. Yeah, but that's tragic because what that's saying is that the other disabled people just aren't out there enough. Because there's lots of us. Absolutely. I know us all. Absolutely. <laughs> I know us all. No, Absolutely. I don't actually. I've got the phone book. Yeah. No, but I think that's the thing. Um, actually, uh, if I can say, uh, it was tricky getting into this building, guys, oh, we- with my beautiful mobility scooter, which has totally changed my life, and I'm not prepared to leave outside there in Burke Street. And um, anyway, just on that note, it, it, when it's tricky – Sorry, to get around, then you see less of like colourful creatures like me. Absolutely. The basics, you're absolutely right, because we have steps coming into the building. And it was a struggle. You called the studio and said, hang on a minute, what's going on? Because you have to make alternate plans, you know, we have to get... Oh, it never even occurred to me, guys. You should see who else is in this building. It's a, it's a you know, smorgasbord of community organisations. So and not one bloody wheelchair hello. around. And that's why they've kicked the cafe out downstairs, so that, that, that will right? be, that will be uh, the wheelchair access. Oh, we'll all be here cracking the champagne over that ramp, I can tell you. Well, I want to go back into, because we've, we've started about, you know, where you are and you, as you're an embryo, so I'd like to move a little bit forward from, <laughs> from the embryonic state and, and, and talk about your family life and growing up. Oh, now, you, lovely. I know. <laughs> what, 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 I think uh, from what I've read, you had a really rich family and really good relationships. Rich? Well, not rich as in money, <laughs> rich as in love. Oh, yeah, right. very let's, loving. Let's talk about your family and oh, well, how you fit in there. It's, it's colourful. I'm the middle child of five, two different marriages. I grew up in the You've got South- the middle child syndrome. South- now, that's got to be. The middle <laughs> child is the best. It is. Don't believe anyone who says that there's a problem with it because there's so much going on either side of you, you in the that you get away with murder oh, in the God. middle. That's all I'm saying. But um, I grew up in the southwestern suburbs of Sydney in Banalsville or whatever it was called. And... um. But I was lucky to grow up in a, in a very bushy, uh, sort of suburb. It's all gone now, unfortunately, but, um, sort of this tumbling gum and bracken rock filled thing that sloped down to a creek. So I always grew up with lots of space around me and I wanted to be in the city and, uh, went to, uh, special school. I was just going to say, I was 50, seven. 50 years ago, the, the education guy was, oh, you poor little thing. Yeah. You got sort of thing. streamed separately from the other kids quite young. In fact, it happened to me when I was just over a year old. Probably at one of those random things they do, you know, just to get your technology right as a kid with, you know, disabilities and stuff. But anyway, so, um, I went to special school for seven years and then left there, then went to mainstream school also in that suburb and, you know, eventually ended up doing really well at high school at a selective school in Sydney. I'm assuming you have them down here as well. Is that for the gifted children? Smarter kids, yeah. yes. yes. Yeah. My mother amazing? went to one of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one day I'll hope I'll go. So you've gone, isn't that amazing to show that just because of a physical or a physic, born with a physicality, 
that, that they went, okay, you're special school orientated. Yeah, it's interesting though. I, I ended up doing a PhD on this topic of, you know, special school and what happened to the kids who went there. And interestingly, uh, uh, of the, you know, 14 or so I tracked down who were at special school at the time I was there. Um, or, uh, you know, the bulk of us are professionals. We've sort of been that superhuman, you know, you've got to prove yourself twice as much and blah, blah. With all of us, well, the ones I could track down have, done really well in our fields and sort of stood out in our fields and, you know, had mixed feelings about having had that uh, streaming process happen to them as young people. But it, it certainly, um, well, it either crushes you or it means that from a very early age, two, three, you start to have to speak up for yourself because you work out very quickly that if you don't, you will end up shunted away yeah. in a corner somewhere with someone spoon-feeding you. And I can imagine that Mopping you up. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously, so I think it did. Yep. It's happened to so many people that yep. it's like, uh, be, I guess, I'm trying to assimilate to a psychiatric ward. You're in a psychiatric ward trying to prove you're sane. What do you, exactly, yeah, exactly. What do you put down to that extra, I guess, 10% that, that pushed you through? Is it just you or is it your... The family upbringing and your mum and dad uh, supporting you and, and that sort of stuff. Mum was great. Dad was a bit of a dead loss. Poor old dad. God <laughs> bless him, whatever. I think my sisters, I have, you know, with the five kids, me in the middle, um, the two younger ones in particular, I grew up very uh, closely with, and we had this love and bond between us. And as I've gotten older and worked out that it's not just people with disabilities that <laughs> have a hard time, that in actual fact, you know, all sorts of things impact on people all of the time. And I worked out that because of, you know, mainly my mother and my grandparents really and my two younger sisters, I had this solid core belief that I was okay Despite what anyone else might have said, I had this core belief that I was okay. I had a belonging place, I had a place where everything I said or did was funny and good and positive and uplifting or worth arguing and fighting about, but the love was there. And people who I've later found who may have not had the sort of physical challenges that I've had, but who didn't have that, I think struggle. Absolutely. So, so you would have had this shelter, I don't want to use the word sheltered, but it was an environment where you were safe and secure and you felt Generally, All yeah. All those kind of things. Yeah. But then in the world outside that home, there, there must have been discrimination mm. and ostracism. I'd like to talk about that side of it for you. Well, interestingly, I've kind of theorised about this and I've come up with a new disorder that I call congenital difference affective disorder and I've based it a bit on dissociative personality disorder and I borrowed a bit from all over. I have no psych qualifications whatsoever. I just want to make that really clear. But my theory goes like this, that because at a young age you learn there's the self that has to do these uncomfortable, embarrassing, intrusive, etc., 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 test questions, with anyone, it appeared to me, and strip off and strip off and do, 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 do every detached. Do, 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 do. Oh. You sort of develop the performative cath as such, who you just leave to do all that stuff. While like the real you, yeah, well, like dissociative personalities. Yeah. And yeah. while the real you goes off and, you know, just wanders off in your head. And, um, as I've gotten older and I've sort of seen those kind of, you know, cracks and fissures through the sort of, you know, the, the person I think of as myself, I've sort of thought, oh, wow, yeah, I can really relate to this dissociative thing because I've got this performative calf who will just stand up and do it. 
and the rest of me just goes, Ugh, you know, and particularly for uh, medical examinations and all those things, even now, I just, I really have to gear myself up if I'm just going to go and have a, a checkup or a consultation. I really have to, <gasps> right, Kath, I'm not going to die, you know, and all this. I hate them. So have you throughout your whole life had to be poke product like aliens oh, and yeah. transported oh, away? Oh, totally. And you just had to take that on a on board? Uh, well, I remember at 16, uh, okay, so I had to have lots of prostate fitted and measured and weighed. As you were growing and, and yeah, stuff. Cause yeah, because you go through them really quickly. You go out of them. When you, yeah, yeah, when you when you're growing up, I probably had about forty legs. Wow. I don't know, whatever. I used to have arms. So I got rid of them. They're whatever. Like school shoes. I love that. I had forty <laughs> legs. <laughs> and um, at sixteen, there was this really horrible doctor, an abusive doctor. I won't name this person, but anyone who grow, grew up in Sydney will know who I'm talking about. And this person came in and grabbed me by the nose. And I remember my brother had started teaching me karate, and I remember just up and and slamming him as hard as I could with my fist because I was a bit of a fighter too in his forearm. No, you think? <laughs> <laughs> I can't see it. Yeah. I remember that as this great moment where I finally said, no, stop. Right. You know? Why would anybody do that? Just what? Grab you by the nose because he was an interfering pedophilic asshole bastard. Right. Oh, but that does that. that <laughs> and everyone up. knows it. And yeah. I punched him. And can at I, that felt tops. Can I go into that then? Did you do you find that I'm talking about the sixteen year old um, and prior to the sixteen year old, you had to be more in your face, you had to stand up that bit more, or did you find that you had to be a little bit more subtle because people weren't going to take it from you? Oh well, um I think actually what you learn I think is that you have to the same tactics won't work with I mean you have to what I think a lot of people who've grown up as I have congenitally congenitally different have had to work out is being able to stuff the situation out really, really quickly. What should I do at this point to get out or get into this? And it's it's always been different. I couldn't say any one approach really worked and did this or or whatever. It's very much of the situation. Like I've been able to talk down crazy bastards, and other times I've walked away. But I would imagine that mouth of yours has got you into some trouble. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> Oh, let's talk yeah. about that. Oh no, let's not. <laughs> Actually, let's let's look. We, we may as well uh, because Dean touched on this earlier. Why don't we talk a bit about amputee fetish and that whole thing? We, we're, we we're, we're moving into oh, that. Okay. Um, we'll this just. Kath, this isn't your interview. <laughs> exactly, Kath. You're not producing this one, so back Damn. off. Oh dear. I'll just we're speaking down. to Kath uh, Duncan, who is engaged in a lifelong learning project to to leave Sorry. a legacy of resistant images, texts. Sounds and presentations. And can I just say, that's nice, huh? We're honoured that we're one of them. Excellent. <laughs> On the Community Radio Network, word for word with Dean Beck and Sue Wilkinson. Our guest today is Kath Duncan, who produced an internationally renowned doco called My One Legged Dream Lover. Kath discovered that uh, somewhere out in that world, there was a whole throng of men that were amputee and women, too, and, women yeah. and women that were amputee devotees attracted to people like Kath that uh, were born different or had had limbs removed so she went about making a movie and a doco on it and it challenged many people including whoever it was that lodged the complaint uh, mm -hmm. with the broadcasting <laughs> corporation to SBS Kath that experience let's talk about the movie I'm a bit excited wow what a great... Where did that come out of? And tell us about the journey. Oh, well, it was one of those bizarre sort of little stories in that 
Um, I just moved to Lismore and uh, I just got a new job at um, the university there and uh, I didn't know many people in town and, and so I logged on. I thought, you know, it would be good to have a kind of a virtual uh, support network because in Sydney I'd known uh, a lot of people who were also disabled and we were buddies and all that and I missed them, you know. So anyway, so I logged on uh, looking, you know, searching for amputees and stuff and I, I don't think I ever found any amputees kind of thing of it but what I did find was that there was this whole fetish thing and I mean, I I'd sort of heard about that in an obscure way um, when I was much younger from reading Everything You Always Want to Know About Sex, which is a very interesting book that came out in the 60s or 70s or something. And I remember reading that and reading a bit about fetish and thinking, oh, how weird. But then I found this community. And... And at first I was a bit turned off and just sort of, you know, posted something on some site somewhere saying, I'm looking for uh, people who have similar, uh, you know, disabilities to mine uh, to chat. I'm not looking for love. I'm not looking for romance. I, I just want friends. And my email inbox just filled up with devotees. And so I sort of had to engage with it. And... um I was a radio feature sort of freelance producer at the time. And I thought, you know, there's a radio feature in this. And so I made one with um, the talented team at the Women's Unit at ABC Radio National in Sydney. And um, <laughs> I was in the process of finishing that off when the phone rang. And it was my friend Penny Fowler-Smith. And I went through university with Penny. And unfortunately, she just done a pitch for a documentary at SBS that had fallen over and SBS had said to her we really like your work though come back to us with an idea and she goes Kath what do you got I said oh god well I'm working on this crazy thing that you know it's about fetish but you know check this what I would really love to do is the following year May or such um, there's going to be in Chicago the biggest meeting of um, amputees because there's this uh, American uh, Amputees Association and the biggest meeting of uh, the fetishists at the, in the town on the same weekend in the same place, wouldn't that be fun? Not by sheer coincidence, <laughs> I gather. With careful planning, I've no yes, doubt. Yes, indeed. And, um, and Penny went, oh my God. And so she introduced me to Chris Olsen, who was another producer friend of hers. And the three of us sat down and uh, over, you know, biscuits or whatever, we and tea, we drafted this proposal and those guys were really good at turning that around budget-wise much sharper than me. So I sort of supplied the research and then they turned it into this, you know, lovely little prospectus thing, sent it off a little bit. And that would have been, I think, in about December or something of that year – about 10 years ago, wasn't mm -hmm. it? And then in February, I get a message from Chris on my phone thing just going, start packing. And I go, whoa. And sure enough, by the end of April that year, we were off. And we had to turn it around. We had to go over there, attend various events, do a whole lot of filming, blah, 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 and have the thing edited up and delivered to SBS by the end of the year. So we had eight months or so to make it. And um, uh, it was <laughs> it was pretty special. Of course, the interesting thing about making a documentary um, and working with a team is that <laughs> this, on the flight over, I realized that all of us, including the camera guy, had very different ideas about what it was we were doing. And it, to a certain extent, that same sort of like difference of opinion and, and an argy-bargy about what the hell it was we were doing lasted that whole eight months. And it was actually quite a complicated process. Um, we, we turned up, we ended up with something that, that, uh, we'd all worked on and, um, not all of us were, we weren't, none of us were 100% happy and none of us were 100% unhappy. It was, it was like that. But it, went on to win a an award in Amsterdam. The, yes, the film well, festival. 
unfortunately, it's a bit like the, you know, three times a bridesmaid, never a bride, in that Dream Love, I got nominated for the Melbourne Film Festival, Sydney Film Festival. This is all its nominations, darling, not the ones that it won. And over in our premiere, our world premiere, was fabulous because um, IDFA picked it up, which is the International Documentary Film Festival. Amsterdam picked it up and um, they uh, asked us to come over, blah, blah, blah. So we did. So the first time it ever screened publicly beyond a few test audiences of friends was in Amsterdam while well, it was snowing. You know, it's just amazing. And and um, yeah, for some of your older listeners, uh, Savira Hollander was there who wrote The Happy Hooker in the 50s or 60s, whenever. And she was there and she stood up and declared herself a devotee and the crowd went crazy and it was and the questions were great it was it was tops and then we found out it sounds we, like you were a celebrity it does well we weren't until we got selected because right. okay every okay. year at IDFA there's um as i remember it a major award for each filmic documentary and one for each tv documentary right. and there were three films uh, rather three documentaries nominated for the tv award and we were one of those and it's like called the silver bear or something like that anyway so the minute we got nominated we were huge just people you know trying to interview us and la 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 take photos blah, 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 blah. and we our screenings filled up because you have a series of screenings and the idea is you've got to attract people and sure. they just you know just filled up and blah 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 and uh we we didn't win <laughs> We came second or we, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, we just didn't win. But interestingly, another Australian documentary and the partner of our producer, Chris Olsen, won that year for that uh, film about the Piano Chick family. Sorry. Oh, God, they're going to hate the me. Piano Chick family. Anyway, whatever. They, they did really well and he was there, which is really cute. So the whole thing went off. It would have helped with sales internationally, surely, to get uh, that sort of profile. Well, well, uh, well it didn't, no. Oh. Because HBO turned it down. Because, well, as all of us realised, there were very significant flaws in that documentary, which I'm not probably going to talk about so much. <laughs> but interestingly, when HBO looked at it, they turned it down for the same reasons that I thought were problematic about the piece. Not that the subject matter was too challenging. No. Right. No, it was more like the emotional kind of structuring of the piece. I want to oh. talk about... That the that compart. I want to talk sex basically. Oh, okay. Because in in reading about you, you sort of I I'm what am I going to say? You kind of woke up and went, oh hello, I'm seen as a sex object in this. Is that right? Yes, it's coming well, from a different perspective. It, no, no, no. Well, I I mean, I I had always had an interesting love life personally. It was more that these very um, underplayed, insignificant, uncomfortable parts of my body were seen as sexualized. It wasn't so much that I was, because I was used to that to a certain extent. But these are parts that people are directly attracted to. Yeah, is it you that make that is uncomfortable about them, or you that's made to well, feel uncomfortable about I, them? I would have to say I thought at least some of my lovers were uncomfortable right. about my yeah, songs. Sure, sure. But these I mean, ones were. I, maybe I was too. Yeah. I couldn't say who was more and who wasn't. But it, at this point, that's what I realised that they sort of displayed that's the word I'm looking for, parts of my body could be... Um, the turn-on. Uh, yes. The yes, ultimate turn-on. Exactly. Yeah. And and that was that was the journey for me to find wow. out, wow, what's that like? Was that empowering? Well, you? you know you know what really changed? <laughs> sort of. I mean, personally, mm, that was more problematic. But publicly, what I realised was, now for me, okay, long-haul plane flights, I hate wearing my leg. But for years and years and years, I'd be too uncomfortable to take my leg off. Well, 
I suddenly realized it was kind of just okay to be me publicly. So I'm now so much more comfortable about taking my leg off and on, crawling over this, changing this, doing this, exposing myself publicly than I ever was prior to doing the Dream Lover experience. Uh That really changed. And so, yes, if then the question of, you know, does it help to have these despised parts adored, in that way, yes. And for a while there on planes and, you know, at swimming pools and stuff, I would think there's a devotee watching and so I'm going to make this really interesting. And, and that up, was one on <laughs> little psychological game because I really did used to struggle with, like, taking my clothes off in public. I, I used to find that really uncomfortable. But after this, I got into it. So, yeah, so these days I don't, I no longer have that. So that's been really good. But on a personal level, um, I guess I realised that, you know, uh, fetishists are just as – you know, banal, boring, screwed up, yeah, whatever, within as anyone else. So, yes, this wasn't the holy grail situation. Not that anything should be and not that I really had that pinned on it. But, yeah, on on that level it was like, oh, ah, shit. And and interestingly, although these guys may have been into stumps, they were also still chasing the blonde, blue-eyed, diddly-diddly, that other thing as well. The Barbie doll with stumps. Yeah, Barbie doll with stumps. Fantastic. And I'm not saying all of them were, but a significant number were. So I realised I was with the same people that bore me anyway. Right. Plus a stump thing. Yeah. I love it. And when you do have a look on YouTube and all those and, and you look it up, and I was just saying to Kath earlier that I love the comments even more than the little one-minute, two-minute movies. And it's, you know, like, uh, great, isn't she gorgeous? Love your stumps. Great stump. All these kind of – and it's mm. unusual language, I guess, that I'm perhaps not used to seeing, which I find really, really interesting. Well, I found it really weird when um, these devotees would write to me and they'd say, how long are your stumps? And I – sort of think, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. As in how many centimetres? Yeah, uh, right. I don't know. And no, I couldn't be the bo- I couldn't be bothered measuring to find that. I have no interest in... But that's <laughs> clearly important to them. <laughs> yes, yes. We're speaking with Kath Duncan, who uh, made the movie called My One-Legged Dream Lover. She wrote uh, the, the uh, audio to that movie and also starred in it as a doco on her journey to the US and uh, mixing with people who like... Stumps. If I can say, Jesus, that was an awful writing job. I don't, people think it's going to be really good to write voiceover for document. It was hell. It took me six weeks of full-time work to write what is on screen less than five minutes. Well, and it's your own narrative. Yeah. <laughs> How easy could it be? Oh, I can't, I can't explain it. I'd, I'd come back each morning into the edit room and I'd go, guys, I've got it. And so they would roll those sequences and I'd be reading and we'd all be like, no, that still doesn't work. And I'd be like, See you again tomorrow, you know, wow. and yeah, no, it was pretty bad actually. I want to go into the complaint a little bit more because I want to work out why people feel uncomfortable if you mix the words disability and sexuality. Because to me, it do- it's, it's, it's doesn't, it's nothing, you know, there's no difference in anything that sort of stuff. But if you say, oh, um, I have a fetish for leather, people go, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like but it, disabled right? people aren't supposed to have disabled a sexuality. Disabled people are non-sexual. And and that's what I find offensive personally. But I actually even find the word disabled a bit. I'm starting to kind of feel mm. that doesn't make sense to me at the moment. 
<laughs> I know. Yeah, but you're a lesbian. But I'm, We've yeah. established that. <laughs> I'm more of a freak than anything. <laughs> now you're taking Kath's word. I know, yeah, you're going to have to sort of, I think I out-freak you, darling. But, yeah, well, I'll but back to what you were saying. Hold on. Um, you were talking, right, smarter minds than mine have contemplated this for quite some time, and particularly those British disability philosophers like Tom Shakespeare and what's his name and the other one. I'm sorry. I'm really bad with names. Anyway, those guys. And... You know, historically, when you're associated with um, a pathologizing and a problematizing of your body, then you, I think you're going to have associated, you know, sexual identity difficulties within that. I mean, you know, um, lots of us uh, were institutionalized and sterilized and locked away and uh, knocked about the head and so forth and so on. Um, for 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 many uh, generations, decades, even hundreds of years, who knows? And and so. So I think, you know, to, to sort of see, it just for a start, just putting the sex thing on hold, just to see that people who are different are human and have a right to exist and breathe and have opportunities and friendships and all that is sort of like quite a leap at this stage. I mean, it seems obvious to us, but nevertheless, that's been quite a social leap to even get to that point. And in Australia, I have to say from 1981, which was the... um. International Year of Disabled People, I noticed out there on the streets attitudes had changed. I got so much less picked on. Well, there are these great, you guys are too young to remember, but there were these great posters with like cripples all over the shop. Well, I, I mean, this is Sydney, but I'm assuming Melbourne did the same thing because it was like bucket I do, loads I, of I money. I certainly do recall that, that, mm. that time. And years of the Paralympics. Now, the, we, I went to the Paralympics in Sydney because I had a media pass and <laughs> and I was just waiting outside such and such. I hate sport. I was waiting outside whatever building, waiting for something to happen. And um, this, you know, tourist came up to me and goes, oh, hello, you know, I can't remember the accent, whatever. Um, you know, can I have your autograph? And I suddenly realised I'm a cripple. I'm sitting outside the such and such stadium. You must be go, an Olympian. Well, I go, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Mm. And they go, what team are you with? Oh, I'm with the, and I realised I don't know sport at all. Like what, I couldn't even. What sport do you play? <laughs> of anything. I think I said soccer, and oh, um, right. and that the person said, "What position do you play?" And I'm like, "Um, Golly. um, so, yeah, I, whatever." And she, and but whatever. But anyway, so I signed this autograph, and then the next few days while I was at the Paralympics, I got dressed up a bit more, and I stood outside doing exercise. And the funny thing was, I'd be outside such and such stadium. It was really funny. People would come up to me and go, "What's on at the moment?" And I realised I didn't know. I was <laughs> whatever. Anyway, but I'd so I'd just say tennis or, you know. Um, it was a rare opportunity for you to blend in. Well, and we were in the majority there, which yeah. is tops. The radio program I was supposed to be making <laughs> sort of fell over, but I had a great time. <laughs> um, but that, at, what I'm trying to say is I think um, I have seen change in my lifetime in, in terms of the way that I've got treated. But I think sexuality is like a number of people uh, say, remember Katie Ball? Did you remember? She was a great Melbourne identity and she particularly worked in the idea of disability and sexuality. And she used to say sex is the sort of the final frontier and that we can't really have equality until we have sexual equality as well. And um, I, I, I don't know if my one-legged one dream lover really uh, contributed much to that. But um, on another level, I think in the making of that, it sort of strengthens this network of thinkers and writers and philosophers, not all of whom are disabled, who are out there, who are working in this area. So it sort of adds to that voice. Um, 
uh, yes, I think people still struggle with it. And, um, I know, you know, sometimes I struggle with it as well because just because I'm disabled doesn't mean that I'm always PC. I know some other people who are disabled as well. And I still think, wow, fancy them having sex. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Oh, I crack the most inappropriate jokes. <laughs> Kath, I know that, uh, you get pretty pissed off sometimes with the disability oh, group. Anything, really. No, the, go on. <laughs> the, the groups and advocates for disability. And uh, tell me why they frustrate you sometimes. Well, what, what are you referring to? I sort of, I, I'm happy for everyone to keep agitating away. Is there something I've said, oh, I'm pissed off about? Just I recall you uh, one day coming back from a meeting saying. <gasps> oh, oh, right. Oh, yes. Well. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, okay. So in the last, uh, 10 years or so, I've got involved a lot more with arts and disabilities, sort of sexuality and disabilities sort of floating around up there. Um, but what I'm it finding. It doesn't need to be arts. It could be sport and disability. <laughs> she it could doesn't be, know much about sport. No, but, but it, we're talking about, um, I guess, organizational structure around the word disability. What I think, um, the big problem for me is, uh, I went to a conference earlier this year, not in Melbourne, I'll just make that very clear, somewhere else. And interestingly, it was a conference about disability arts. And as I looked around me at the office bearers within that organisation and then within all their little satellite organisations, honest to God, me and maybe... Leslie Hall put it at maybe, if we were lucky, 20% of the participants at that conference were disabled. And that you could, you could tell in, in just the, the structuring of the thing, the, the, the place that it was held at, um, the, the way that the, that particular conference worked, you could tell that we were with the, the very people who are doing very worthy, oh, worthy things on our behalf. Isn't that lovely? And, um, they, and, and so, you know, I have this constant battle because I try to be polite because unfortunately these are the people that one has to work through to get funding or get access for other people or network or be friend in order to, you know, to, to not be isolated within disability arts. But they would say they're trying to help. It's patronizing. Yeah. yeah well, and it's it's quite galling. I mean, let's let's just put this in another uh, sort of framework. In that, if that was an indigenous group, you know, the group for Aboriginal artists, and they were seventy five percent, maybe even eighty percent, um, employing non indigenous people, it would be a scandal. Yes, but it would be a huge scandal. Is that because disability is saying that you don't have a voice that's independent? Perhaps still, there's still a threat of. Or is it because on? the diversity of disability? I mean, there is. Some people who just walk with a limp, and then there are others that can't feed themselves. I think it's a thing where we, I see disability as being a cultural thing. It has cultural impact. The way, the fact that I've always been different has had a cultural impact on me, and I've had a cultural impact on the environment. And I think if you just see disability as an amorphous state that any one of you guys could drift in and out of, well, then you're not going to see the reason for why I might be pissed off that it's you behind the desk with the CEO job and I'm coming with the ching, ching, ching begging bowl to get the money. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I see my position and someone who's not disabled as being two different places. I'm not saying we don't have a cause and I'm not saying we don't have allies. But what I'm finding is that that sort of way of looking at it, of, you know, I'm an ally of these people. Um, I, I went to a, another conference, I think the year before, where I got so irate, again in Sydney, where I got so irate that, um, at the end, because I was flying down there to ask a question. And so 
in the uh in the up there down there. Well, I can't remember. I was living at the time. It doesn't matter. But anyway, um, I actually said I look around the room because it was a closed, uh, very posh sort of event at the Opera House, and I said, and I see that all the CEOs for all the artistic disability groups generally are non-disabled. I'm one of only maybe ten disabled people in the room. Why aren't you guys training people up like us to take your jobs? In 10 years' time, none of you should be here. Why are you here? What was the answer? Well, actually, the weird thing was I got applauded. <laughs> what? Um, okay. Yeah. I'm glad they appreciated that. But And maybe that was their little gesture. I don't know. We're speaking with Kath Duncan, who is uh, a writer, broadcaster. She's been a radio producer. She's uh, made movies. She's been an actor. She's uh, also a loud mouth freak in her own words. Dean Beck and Sue Wilkinson here with you on Word for Word across the community radio network from Melbourne's Joy 94.9. Now, we're talking to Kath Duncan. You've done so much, but I just love the fact that you, you identify as queer, loud, proud, bent and honourable. Now, how does it go? We've been talking about sexuality. We've been talking about disability. We've been talking about movie making and fetishes. Let's just add queer into the mix. How does that just, does that add another layer? Or well, like, don't you have enough to deal with, I mean, woman? Get over it. I always thought <laughs> that know? bit was the good bit. It is the great <laughs> bit. So that, 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 that bit was like the fun cell- bit. That's the cellophane Yeah, people bit. say that, oh, that's dreadful, the big dumbloid disadvantage. No, I'm saying it's dreadful. And I'll say, no, 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 no. The, no, the queer thing is the good thing. You know, the the rest is uh, something else. Yeah. Um. How does it fit in? Well, I guess I kind of. I mean, I. I don't know what I describe myself as at the moment. I would. I've always liked bisexual, even though that's kind of not very you know groovy, really. But once it was pansexual, and I've, now I've hung on to it since the seventies. Yeah, pansexual is kind of cute, but it, it makes like me think hand. of more that sort of whole free love thing and and la la. And I'm not really into that. I'm, I'm the honourable thing is actually about uh, respecting my own and other people's relationship boundaries because I'm not one of those. I've never look this. I've had heaps of sex with all sorts of different people, but you know I've never had sex with a married person as such. I mean, a person who's got somebody else um, that you know of, unless. Um, well, I've known just about all the people I've had sex with reasonably well, uh, uh-huh. one way or another. I don't do strangers, really. Sort of, you know, slightly vulnerable women like me tend not to do strangers. But and I mean by that physically vulnerable in some way, you know, you've got to be a bit smart. But anyway, so uh, while I'm open to the idea of, you know, whatever people's, you know, marital or other arrangements are, I really need to know what they are before I'll go there with anyone because I don't want to tread on anyone's toes. I've never wanted to do that. Mm. You say you seek positive, self-disciplined people. You are into people with love and compassion in their hearts and respect for themselves. You connect to people who have strong drives to create art and joy, nurture love, protect each other and themselves and who care for themselves and each other. Yeah, well, I sort of had a bit of a difficulty in that I had a really nasty relationship breakup uh, in October of last year, and really that is where all that's coming from. It's the sense that I suddenly realised I was in a very nasty situation with someone who was, we owned a house together, we'd raised kids together, not mine, hers, and um, and she wanted to get involved with somebody who I thought was suspect. And I said, no, 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 we had a sort of an, a relationship 
relationship by negotiation would be the best I could call it, in that we would have outside people occasionally, but we would the other would know who, when, how these outside people were and feel okay about that. But we had this huge disagreement about this particular person. And um and I was invited to go to Britain for a month. And I said, okay, so we either break up before I go because I will not handle this person in our relationship. This person had a messy relationship and a child themselves and it was a total mess. And um, I said to her, we either break up before I go or when I come back, we work this out. But while I'm away, no, I don't want you to go there. And we were about to refinance our house. Complicate, long story. And I said, I will not come back and throw myself into more debt with you if you've involved this scrag in our relationship and our family and our home and our community while I'm away. Well, she lied to me while I was away. I came back and found out she did. So I walked away. I said, right, that's it. I'm out of here. We'll sell the house. I'm leaving. I'm going to Melbourne. Yay. And, um, and so that's what I did. And so those sort of statements about these are the sort of people I look for really much came out of a broken heart. But this is core value stuff. To yes. Me. Yes. It, it, it's uh, warts and all. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's, yeah and and these are the sleeve. things you don't compromise on, um, is what I get from me. Oh, well, I try not to, no. Yes, that's right. And I'm very, look, you know, I don't give a damn what anyone thinks about me. I'm really fussy about who I spend time with. And you say you're having a bloody good time learning more about yourself, coming yeah. into your own space. Yeah, yeah, doing my artwork and writing and that's, doing a bit of work around town. That's what I want to know. What are you actually working on now? Because you are doing an arts. Is it paintings, drawings? Yeah, I mean, um, the reason I actually came down here was to work on uh, the Art of Difference Festival, uh, which is going to be held towards the end of uh, next year um, in Melbourne. And um, that's ostensibly what I came down to do. But I'm kind of wrapping up a stage of that at the moment and um, I'm going on to do other stuff. I, what I'm doing at the moment is, yeah, my own work. We sold my house. I'm pretty cashed up. I don't have to make decisions fast. So I'm just sort of enjoying myself and learning my scooter and living with the world's greatest gay guys and two fluffy dogs <laughs> and um and Loving getting life, to know Melbourne getting to know Melbourne yeah. yeah so you know what I what I'd really like to do is to do some more production work either in you know radio television or print online multimedia stuff carry on doing the sort of thing I do just to be kind of a travelling freak uh, I go to arts and disability stuff all over the place and I love it I our love guest it. today on Word for Word has been Kath Duncan. Woohoo! And uh, continued success, Marty. You're, uh, oh, thank you, you're a force to be reckoned with. Oh, indeed you do. <laughs> thanks thanks to you too, Sam. Thanks, Kath. It's been lovely meeting you. Cheers. I love the fact you cashed up. I'll be talking to you later. <laughs> thank you for being with us today on Word for Word. Uh, I'm Dean Beck. And I'm Sue Wilkinson. Now, a podcast of today's interviews will be available to download from joy.org.au. Follow us on Facebook. We welcome your comments and suggestions. If you'd like to contact us, please email us on wordforword at joy.org.au. Word for Word is produced by Robert Briley and presented by Dean Beck, Sue Wilkinson and Tim Newton. Word for Word is made possible thanks to funding provided by the Community Broadcasting Foundation and is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations in the Community Radio Network from Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Melbourne's Joy 94.9. Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. 
Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.